If you have a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 4. How sad I am, Lana, that you're not going to be here when the organ's down. I was looking forward to those sick guitar solos you had planned every week. And uh, really sad that uh, we're going to miss out on those. But maybe when you get back, maybe you'll have a couple of guitar solo weeks in the meantime, maybe. Yeah, we look forward to that. Pray, praying for Lana and praying for her swift recovery. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading. The words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him... Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we pray even now that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And God, I pray we would be changed by it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How do we go about winning in this world? How is it that a Christian should think about what it means to triumph? How is it that we win? Earlier this year, I've mentioned it to you a few times now, earlier this year I read a book that was really impactful on me. It's a novel called The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. And in it, the most impactful character for me was a monk named Zosima. I want, to, I want you to hear something he says in the book. One may stand perplexed before some thought, especially seeing men's sin, asking oneself, shall I take it by force or by humble love? Always resolve to take it by humble love. 
If you so resolve once and for all, you will be able to overcome the whole world. A loving humility is a terrible power. The most powerful of all. Nothing compares with it. Ultimately, I think the Brothers Karamazov is about this very idea. The fact that loving humility, love overcomes all. That true victory is ultimately found in love. I believe Dostoevsky was on to something that's true about the way the world works. Love is the way to triumph. Love is the way to win. God has designed His world, His economy, His work, His gospel in such a way that it is love that will ultimately triumph. So often as Christians, I hear people talking like this so often, we, we treat love like it's a handicap, like it's a problem we have. You know, if we didn't have to love like Jesus said to love, there's no telling what we could get done in this world. If we weren't Christians, we could really get after it and really get something done. Friends, love is not a handicap. Love is an advantage. We have the inside corner on the way the world really works. This is something I like to say to pastors, especially those who are just starting out their ministry, that sometimes there's this temptation to think that if I could just get around this shepherd leadership stuff, having to love people, if I could just make decisions like a CEO can make decisions, I could really get something accomplished. But my friends, the church isn't just designed to thrive under shepherd leadership. Every human heart is designed to thrive under shepherd leadership, under love. This morning, I welcome you to the pinnacle of First John, the, the highest peak of John's thought in this letter. I, the more I think about First John, the more I think it's like a piece of jazz music. It, it doesn't quite follow the flow and direction that you might expect it. Sometimes it feels like John's taking themes and riffing on them over and over and over again. And in these few verses, we find some of the most densely packed uh uh, presentations of John's thought, we see sort of the culmination of all the themes he's introduced are coming to a beautiful crescendo. They're all crashing down on us right here in these verses. We can see the entire vista of this wonderful letter from the passage that we've read this morning. John's message is a message of the triumph of the love of God. And this morning, I want to show you four ways that God's love is triumphant. Uh, four ways that God's love is triumphant. Here's the first point this morning. Love is triumphant in the work of God. Love is triumphant in the work of God. We've already said it. John's already made it clear throughout his letter. But we can't talk about love without talking about God. Uh, we cannot talk about a disembodied uh, love. We cannot talk about a sort of amoebic uh, love that's not connected to anything else, a, a love that's just sort of out there. Our love and our understanding of love must be connected back to the source of love, the originator of love, the one who is love in his very being and essence. God must be at the center of our understanding of love. And here John, in between verse 8, where he tells us that God is love, and in between verse 8 and 16, where again he reminds us that God is love, John paints this beautiful Trinitarian portrait. I want you to notice how this passage uh, starts here, verse 13. Notice what he says. Chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Uh, we believe that God is one, 
And at the same time, God is three persons. God is one in His being and essence, that is. Whatever it is that means that God is God, so is the Father, so is the Son, so is the Holy Spirit. And yet, we also believe that God is differentiated in His personhood. That the Father is His own person, that the Son is His own person, that the Spirit is His own person, yet they are all united in their essence or being. Now, this is a great mystery. It's something that we find challenging to wrap our minds around, and that's okay. It's a good reminder that our God is God. He's not like us. He's different than us. But John here reintroduces us. It should jump off the page when you see this, to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, we know we abide in God because He has given us of His Spirit. This is another way that John is emphasizing the full divinity of the Holy Spirit. To abide in God and to know that we are abiding in God because we are partaking of His Spirit is a sign that God is in us through and by His Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. We move on to verse 14 and we see this. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Do you see the Trinity there? Do you see these? the Spirit in verse 13 and then the Father and the Son in verse 14. Verse 14 is a wonderful verse. It's a clear encapsulation of the Gospel. What does it say? We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son, God abides in them, He tells us in verse 15. And we recognize, because of what we learned earlier, that it's through the Holy Spirit. Love is triumphant in what God has done objectively through the gospel. Uh, Love is triumphant in our hearts and lives because of the way the gospel is being applied to us by the Spirit. We, We must not give up the beachhead where objective truth, what God has done in the gospel, okay? Verse 14, the Father sent the Son into the world in order that we might be saved, right? In order to deliver us from this world. And then what we experience subjectively in our own hearts, we partake of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We cannot give up the beachhead where objective truth and subjective experience meet. We cannot emphasize one over the other. We must recognize love is triumphant in the work of God. And what God has very intentionally done is come into the world objectively. He is who He is. He is love in His person. He sent His Son into the world out of love. And then we experience that love by hearing the gospel, believing the gospel. And then that love begins to transform us from the inside out through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Love is triumphant in the work of God. Second of all, love is triumphant in assurance. Love is triumphant in Assurance. Now, assurance is another major theme in John's gospel. And I, I told you, I gave it away, that almost every theme John cares about comes crashing in here at this moment. It's a confluence of lots of strings. He's picking up lots of different things and, and, and playing all the tunes and bringing all the notes together here in this moment. And so, second of all, love is triumphant in assurance. First, notice what... He says in verse 16, John gives us a little bit of a progression in verses 16, 17, and 18. So, because of what God has done, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And this progression of thought, the first thing John tells us is that we need to know and believe the love that God has for us. This is harder than it seems, isn't it? You ever struggle with this? I think it's easy sometimes for us to say God is love. Of course we believe God is love. I I think sometimes it's easy for us to say, you know, I think God loves people. I think God loves sinners. I think God loves humanity. It's easy to kind of talk about God loving humankind. It's, it's easy to talk about God loving all people everywhere. But I know lots and lots of Christians who struggle to really live as if they believe God loves them. God loves me. Jesus loves you. We have to get out of the mindset of focusing on generic and dispassionate and iffy love, pie-in-the-sky love. And we need to get into the experience of, of thinking through specific, authentic, experienced, lived love, knowing and living and believing that Jesus truly loves you and what starts to happen when we really bask in the love of God. So, so, so many of us feel too guilty to feel loved. We feel too guilty to be lo- feel loved. We still really deep down inside believe that if we were to stop sinning as bad as we do, God would actually love us more. But my friends, you're never going to grow in holiness unless you believe that Jesus loves you first. That's the key to growing in grace is actually believing in grace. But friends, if we're going to know and believe that Jesus loves us as we are, then what's going to start to happen is we're going to live out Christ's love in the world. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. Uh, Living out love builds Christian confidence. It builds Christian confidence. We know that God loves us and when we live out love in the world and we begin to love others, we begin to see the fruit of the gospel bearing fruit in our hearts and lives and we begin to guess, begin less, we begin to be less worried about what it might look like when we meet God and we begin to grow in confidence in the gospel. But then fruit is born. We, we go from believing at first and then living out and then there's fruit that's born. And the fruit that's born is confidence in the future with perfect love over fear. Look at verse 18 with me for a moment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now we do, we, we live in a fearful world, my friends. We, we, we live in a, in, a, in a world that's wound very tight with anxiety with fear you can spend all your time i bet uh, you turn off the tv when they were preaching fear this morning you turn on the radio they're preaching fear on the way here you come in here and you get a couple hours of hope and this afternoon when you go back home you're going to be hearing fear again everything makes us afraid we're fearful it's designed to make us fearful and it's designed to sell us on pseudo solutions here's the reality Perfect love casts out fear. Uh, love is triumphant over fear. What, what really is it you're afraid of? In all sincerity, what is it you're afraid of? Most fear in the world is, is really uh, 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 extenuation of the fear of meeting God. 
Why are we afraid to die? Is it just a fear of the unknown? No. Deep down inside, people have an innate fear of meeting their Creator because they're sinners. But, but Christian, if the Bible is true, and I believe it is, and if the Bible says what it ought to say about you, then your sentence is sealed through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have nothing to fear when you think of meeting God, and you have everything to gain. And so should that not work backwards into our lives? Should the love of God which we've received through the gospel not make us less afraid of anything in this life? I mean, the reality is, no matter how bad things get, it's the same we have in our home. We remind ourselves of this often. No matter how bad things get, the next trillion years are going to be amazing. No matter how bad things get, it's nothing a good resurrection won't fix. We believe, we believe that our future is secure. Be assured, my friends. Be assured because Jesus' love comes before our love. Notice what he says in verse 19. Notice what John reminds us of. We love because he first loved us. I know, pastor, I know these things must be true, but you don't understand. My love is growing cold. My love is waning. My love is often put in the wrong place. But my friend, Jesus loved you first. When you did not love Him at all. And there's nothing you can do to make Him stop loving you. And so I want you to be assured of the love of Jesus no matter what. And let triumphant love triumph over fear in your heart and in your life. Here's the third point I want you to see. Not only is love triumphant in the work of God. Not only is love triumphant in assurance. But third of all, love is triumphant in community. Love is triumphant in community. We're going to move quickly through this point, but so pay careful attention. I don't want you to miss it. Look at verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot, who he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love is the primary mark of the Christian community. There's no other way to put it, my friends. Love triumphs in Christ's church. This is the place of love. This is a place where we express love to one another. This is the place where the love of God reigns and rules. In the last seven or eight years, I've seen a stunning uptick, and even among pastors, maybe even especially among pastors, an uptick in folks trying to find a way to wiggle out of verses like this. To try to make love seem like it's a squishy thing, like it's a sellout thing. To try to make love feel like it's a lesser part of what it means to be a Christian. So long as we're doctrinally sound and we're really, we're really sticking it to them and we're keeping our spine straight. We're not giving in to the world and we're making sure that we believe the truth. It doesn't really matter so much how we love because we live in special times. We're precious little snowflakes, Right? In special times, unique times, we don't have to love. Friends, we cannot try to wiggle out of these boundaries. We cannot try to skirt around what God has made so clear. The church must be defined by love. And I believe with all my heart that if we're going to see fruit in an increasingly secular world, if we're going to see our churches grow and thrive in the years to come, with all the challenges that are there, and there are challenges there, I believe that love across all boundaries will be the most important aspect in helping us live out an authentic Christian witness. And I don't mean loving the people we're supposed to love. People it makes sense for us to love. 
What I mean is loving the people that it makes no sense. I would love nothing more than for people from the world to walk into First Baptist Church and say, I cannot figure out how or why these people like each other. They're so different. They're so different. They're across so many different lines. Friends, we have to be so careful that we let love be the primary, the primary characteristic of this church. Love is triumphant in the work of God. Love is triumphant in assurance. Love is tri- triumphant in community. And finally, love is triumphant in holiness. Love is triumphant in holiness. John has introduced in his letter three tests of Christian assurance. Do you believe sound doctrine? John asks us. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe the truth of the Scriptures? John asks us. Second of all, he asks us, a moral test. Do you live a holy life? And third of all, he asks us of a social test. Do you love one another? And there's such a temptation for us to pit these three gifts against one another. Or there's a temptation to take these three signs, these three marks of Christianity and just choose one or two and try to do that really well to overcompensate for the lack of another. We have to be so careful, my friends. We must hold all three. We must hold all three joyfully. We cannot pit these things against one another. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, chapter 5, verse 1, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. We cannot pit love for neighbor and holiness against one another. We cannot pit sound doctrine and love against one another. John is tying all three together very carefully in these verses, helping us see that all All these things must be held together. And ultimately here, he's focusing on holiness. He's showing us the way that all these things must be held together. What really is love? What what truly means that we love God? Here the Scripture says that we keep His commandments. But we have to remember, holiness is a gift. Holiness is an opportunity. We've spent way too long. I, I grew up sort of being taught that holiness is a bummer. But, you know, I'm sure God means well by it. But I know you can't really do all the fun stuff your friends are doing, but you better follow Jesus because, I don't know, you have to. Or maybe you would be told, you know, you better act right or you're going to go to hell. So often we sort of act like, I'm sorry guys, this is the Bible. Uh, You're going to have to live right and live according to God's commands and, and laws, but... I know it's a challenge. It's the opposite of what the Bible says. His commandments are not a burden. Now, it's the same commandments I was taught growing up. But instead, I want you to understand these are blessings. These are opportunities to follow God. These are opportunities to live according to God's will and God's way. His commandments are not burdensome. God gave us His commandments out of love. He did it because He loves us. I'm so often having to help my children understand we don't let you do these things. We don't let you do this. I have a almost have a going on 12-year-old daughter. And I have to tell her, you don't have a phone because I love you. Now that's what you like to hear, isn't it? (laughs) 
Don't we so often feel like that with the Lord? If this is how you show love, I'd hate to see the opposite. Friends, holiness is a blessing. It's a gift. His commandments are not burdensome. Men always feel that way in the moment, but in the long run, it means well for us. Brothers and sisters, God is at work. He's at work. And God Himself is love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is love. Be sure, be assured of what Christ has begun in you. Triumphant love gives us assurance. My friends, don't believe the lie that holiness is boring or that it makes you miss out on the good stuff. God is the good stuff. He's the way toward the good stuff. His commandments are not burdensome. My friends, let's let love define this community. Let's continue, as we already do, to let love define this community. And friends, I want you to run away from fear. Perfect love casts out fear. You see, it's so easy. There's nothing more natural than to be worried about and to be afraid and to be anxious about what the future holds, about where things are headed, about what this world's going to be like when our children or grandchildren are alive in this world. Pastor, how will we respond? What will we do? This world is getting so bad. I'm, I'm so afraid of the way things are going. I think we need to fight. I think we need to get angry. I think we need to win. We're never going to triumph. We're never going to win if we don't do what they're doing. Friends, love is the way to triumph. Love is the way to win. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Will we trust God that His way is better no matter what feels right? Will we trust God that no matter how triumphant the world seems, will we believe Him that we have overcome the world? Will we value the Lord's ways over the, over the world's ways? Brothers and sisters, don't forget this truth. A loving humility is a terrible power. Nothing compares with it.